listen love your parts especially the two latest ones of the fall and the walker brothers they were great could you do cockney rebels the psycho modo sometime smiley face well elzaha you better believe we can i mean is that is that the intro if, hey why the hell not <laughs> damn straight so welcome everyone to a listener request episode of the listening party pod with Adam and Mike, as as whatever has been and probably shall be, we remain men of no consequence. This five-year plan is getting grossly out of hand and does shows no signs of actual no uh, well, coming to fruition really. No, no, basically. Not. So I think we just resign to the fact that we shall remain men of no consequence. Yeah, for our entire workaday lives. And as per Adam's reading at the start, we will be discussing Cockney Rebels, the Psychomodo from 1974. Oh, so thank you so much for your request. Yeah, thanks. Um, especially because Cockney Rebel is a band who I've known about forever, but never actually done any listenings on. And based off their most famous song, I've never been particularly keen to either. But I think you'll agree that their most famous song bears little to no relation to the contents of this album. No, which I was I tickled pink to, uh, you know, get into this album and realise, oh, it doesn't sound like that song. That song being Come Up and See Me. Um, you all know it from Capital Gold compilations and greatest hits for the 70s, everyone. And it soundtracks a Viagra other or did. Probably, yes, many adverts. But the, the first time I was kind of, I thought, maybe I should give a Cockney Rebel listen was um, reading that book, Glam Rock and Its Legacy. Do you mean this book here? That very book, Adam's holding his hand. And I have a uh, a sun, uh, a sun-soaked copy where the, the Bowie lightning have bolt you? has been faded. Yeah, my uh, the Bowie lightning bolt on the spine is faded on mine. Have you reread the Cockney Rebel bit in this book? I didn't, but I do remember it vividly saying, "Oh, sweet lordy, mama!" It, it didn't. It didn't treat Steve Harley that kindly, as I remember. Uh, no, it, say he it was an egotistical didn't. lunatic. And I, you know what? I think that's true. I've also reread um, from because um, I'm a sucker for these sorts of magazines. Uncut: The Ultimate Genre Guide to Glam. I thought you were going to say another magazine, but fine. There is a interview from him in 1974 with so just before the release of the psycho modo with roy carr who absolutely hated his debut the human menagerie it's roy carr that came up with the famous quote oh steve when you finish with them david bowie would like his voice back and brian ah. vibrato but you can keep the clothes so they had a a rendezvous in 1974 and Steve doesn't come across well. It's oh. it's a second character assassination from Roy Carr, who is a funny git. <laughs> it's a really funny article. I feel like I've read some Roy Carr. I can't Harley's think. trying so hard and just comes across like a wazzock. <laughs> it's desperately sad for the man. 
because I've seen him interviewed in, in later years, usually revolving around the song "Come Up and See Me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some new version of it's been done or something. And now nowadays, he seems like a relatively mild mannered older gentleman. Well, I think you you always come to terms with what you are, don't you? But in like 2005, I think it was, in an interview with the Guardian, he got quite sniffy and said something like, "I haven't just written one song, you know." Um, forgetting, of course, that he really may as well have done. I mean, this album aside, I've not gone and done any other listenings of Cockney Rebel yet, but up until listening to this album, that was the only song I knew about. Like, oh, I, I like Human Menagerie. I like Psycho Modo as well, but I, no, I, I like um, the Human Menagerie. It's got Sebastian on it, which I think is great. Sebastian! It's like that. Which, has, which has nothing like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Must be another song. Yeah, I mean, it is intensely homoerotic, but in that early 70s way, which is, oh, arch, playful. Wasn't there a, a Derek Jarman uh, homoerotic film called Sebastian? I've absolutely no idea. Sebastian! Oh, yeah. That might be the theme tune to it. Shall we just say, yeah, of course there is. Potentially Sebastian. Who's Derek Jarman? Why, the, I know his uh, name. He was a famous uh, director, an artist, and uh, production designer. Right. He made the film Blue when he was dying of age-related illnesses. Dune, was he? Yes, yes, he played the Baron Harkonnen's oh. doctor. Good, right. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that, well, then I know him. That's not true, everyone, but it's placated Adam for now. Let's see how this goes. Good. So long as he was in Dune and everybody knows where they stand. He was in Dune. Well <laughs> done, him. So, shall we kick off with the con text? Context. I mean, the context is weapons grade Burke, Steve Harley. <laughs> <laughs> as another throw of the dice. <laughs> as another roll of the dice. And ends up creating a good, but partially flawed and easy to hate album. I like it. I really do. I like but I can it. see why so many people went, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, we'll get into that. But yeah, there's, I can see reasons. But yeah, uh, so this was a second album by Cockney Rebel. As you mentioned, Human Nagerie was their first album. Released... Um... Did you, by the way, sorry... Have you hmm. looked at the cover to the Human Menagerie yet? I did. I mean, you know, I know you mentioned that it, you know, horrible. I was like, eh, that's just cheesy okay. crap seventies affair. No, no, no. Imagine it on a large record. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's terrible. It doesn't stand. I thought you were going to have more insight there about. Did you no, see this? It's, no, it's just it's just awful when it's, it's bigger. Not, it's an awful cover. It, but, but imagine that not on your phone, but uh, but large in a thing in your hand oh, in your house oh. on your shelf, <laughs> staring at your children, your loved ones, <laughs> yes. everyone you hold dear, doing nothing, nothing but exist <laughs> with impunity. <laughs> Sounds like my last review at my job. <laughs> <laughs> You just exist with impunity, Michael. You sit there, existing. <laughs> while I have a wife at home. Yeah, so the Cockney Rebel for this lineup consisted of Steve Harley on vocals, Jean-Paul Croker on electric violin and guitar, Milton Ream James on keyboards, 
Paul Jeffries on Fender bass and Stuart Elliott on drums and percussion. Yes, and the band released the first album of Human Nagerie in November 73, which had failed to chart and left their label, EMI, unimpressed. They reconvened and made the single Judy Teen, which became a top five hit. And then, at that point, they were already working on the follow-up album, which would become Psychomodo. They would go into a studio with Alan Parsons, famous of fame. What the hell was that? That was the famous Alan Parsons project song. You know the song that piece of music with Chicago Bulls always come out to. You know, you've seen you've seen the basketball. Yeah, you know, Alan Parsons also produced Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, but he also did a Sure. Okay. Is that from I is that iRobot? I've got a copy of that. It's good. I feel like I thought you meant the Will Smith film. No, no, I meant the Alan Parsons film. I don't remember that being used in the film. What's happened here is that I'm getting quite defensive on Alan Parsons' behalf. You are. You can put your fist down. I feel like Alan Alan Parsons often is looks the way that I want all old musicians to look like, which is to say, glasses, professorial. He does got a big beard. He's also got very long hair. And he wears a lot of velvet and cravats. And also, Ah. he's carrying a bit of timber. You get the impression he's wearing a lot of rings as well. (laughs) So Alan Moore, basically. Yeah, but um, everything is sleeker. Alan Moore, but with conditioner. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, got you. Harley was complimentary of Parsons' willingness to try anything in the studio and the orchestral arrangements by Andrew Powell, producer of Kate Bush's The Kick Inside, also came into play here. The title track was released as the first single, then quickly withdrawn in the UK because it did fuck all business. Though it was released in Europe and got to number 28 in Belgium. Good for the Belgians. Good for the Belgians. When the album was released... It reached number eight of the UK charts and stayed in the top 50 for 20 weeks. The band started touring in June, but tensions led to the band splitting in July. Tensions is a nice way of saying he was an arse, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I'll do that again. The band started touring in June, but then Steve Harley was an arse, so the band all fucked off in July. I mean, that's broadly what happened, and because he was insisting on paying them like hired hands, even though they were doing... But Quite a lot of the work. They they were a band. Yes, he he insisted on you know basically yeah like you say paying them as oh you're touring musicians like no no we have a fucking we're a band. We uh, they were getting something like three quid a night, and yeah. um, despite doing a lot of the arrangements and stuff. And if you're if you're the electric violin player in Cockney Rebel, you are the lead man. You are why they sound the way they sound. Mm. And frankly, the drumming on them is impeccable i don't know what the word syncopation means but i'm assuming it sounds like this something like drumming yes drumming but with like pauses and they did receive a gold award for the first uh, sorry for the best new act of 1974 one week after they disbanded Croker, Reem, James and Jeffries uh, quit the band after wanting to write more material, despite initial agreements that Harley was the sole songwriter. 
And Harley formed a new lineup with the band, renaming them Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel later yes. in 74. Have you seen the um, front cover for... It's called something like The Best Years of Our Lives, the third Cockney Rebel album. Mm. And the cover is Steve Harley plus Cockney Rebel. <laughs> <laughs> you fucks. <laughs> Suck it. And the, <laughs> the drummer stayed with him, incredibly. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Um, Elliot was the only uh, original member who stayed with him on the drums. So, uh, sort of contemporary reviews. Melody Maker said, the whole album is intrepid manic music. Uh, Sorry, I, I have terrible handwriting, everyone. I can't read it. I'm very excited. And by an obsessive creative drive and wonderfully defiant of accepted forms. And Charles Shah Murray in NME. Ah, Good old Chasmus. Always glad to hear from him. Most of the album is disposable. But he did like Mr. Soft and Ritz, but said one track didn't make a star. Uh, I think he's being too harsh there. Hmm. I will say, though, that... It definitely works as an album more than it does songs, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's, I mean, there's a couple because, of songs here that sort of segue into each other as yeah, well. Yeah, track, track one and two are. Yeah, and the same with like, indistinguishable. Seven and eight basically go into each other as well. So and seven and eight is where the songs have started really stretching out a bit. So <laughs> that creates an enormous song. I mean, do you think you know some of that that thing like? Shah Murray was talking about just like one song doesn't make a star. Do you think there was a case of Steve Harley was already making a rounds of have you heard of Steve Harley guy? He's a bit of a knob. No, completely. The the enemy took umbrage very early on and despised him. Right. Um, you know the because he was with Main Man, I think, wasn't he? And you know the whole thing they did with Bowie as well. We, you know, yeah. act like you're a star, talk like you're a star. Good old Tony DeFries. And the world will follow. Yeah. He was very much doing that. Um, but I would say with slightly less charm and mm. possibly slightly less self-awareness, and certainly, certainly less humor. He Bowie was often being quite arch and amusing in interviews. Mm. Harley not so much. Harley. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wish I'd gone back. I meant to. I didn't go back and do the oh, reading of contemporary interviews with him. Not so, not so much. Um, he really got people's backs up. Was he just absolutely preposterous and pompous and just... Yes. Yes, he was. I, yes. I am the best thing since Elvis. Completely and utterly. He described himself as... I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'm glad that Cockney Rebel exists, you know, because David Bowie needs a kick up the arse and we're the only band good enough to do it. Big words. Them's if, fighting words. Them's fighting words if what you have produced is Judy Teen. <laughs> He's, he said he got rid of having a lead guitarist because... He said, I just think by now, you know, I think the kids need something new. And I think not, as soon as people not, start not, saying, not. as soon as people start saying the kids, immediately all the flesh on my back starts trying to leave the body as quickly as it can. He, today, I'm a lemonade man. I don't touch dope or drink. But two years ago, I was high at least four times a week. In fact, I didn't come down off acid for nine whole months. 
So I know what that scene's all about. I suppose I'm going to come out sounding superior, he had suddenly. Funny he should say that, because I thought he sounded more like Ian Hunter, Mark Boland, David Bowie and Jake Thackeray trying to exit from the same host body at the same time. And a bit of a knob. Yeah. So I mean, especially ha- when you do it in that voice as well. From the, you're, from the, you're, you're, uh, I think the, that's... Straight out of the cunt parade. He, he, so Roy Carr wrote the interview for the Human Menagerie, which just eviscerated it. And he said, I was prepared, you know, I thinking as he did that, I wouldn't pull any punches. I'd have sympathised with Steve Harley if he'd rehearsed a watertight defence of his album review. Instead, he came right out and endorsed my damning critique by stating, I think... In essence, what you wrote about the human menagerie is actually quite perceptive, very accurate, and quite justified. But what I just couldn't get to grips with was that someone like yourself, a respected journalist, needed to write what you did. But again, I admit that what you wrote was the truth and very accurate. He's craven. He's pathetic. That's just bizarre. You had me for a minute there. I was thinking, oh, that's just some self-awareness. You know, oh. a bit of, uh, just like, oh, no, you were right. But the whole, like, but why you had to write it? I, I think the, the problem is you've got a man who had polio. And so obviously had to spend years of his life in hospital. And then he also can't sing, which I, I genuinely don't think is a huge like, stumbling block, to be honest, because I like his voice. I like his voice. I, I, I wouldn't say I, he I can't sing. He can't sing well. He sings like, I, I think at a push, you could say he sings like Bob Dylan, in that he's quite good at performing his own songs. There was times on this album where I thought he sounded like prototype uh, John Lydon. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I think you don't, you only get to the point where you've got like a big record deal and so on. If you have. Hutzler. Oh, huge Hutzler and just nuclear strength self belief. Yes. Without, though, without self awareness. Mm, so central. Self belief. With some self-awareness, and what you get is David Bowie. Yes, I mean... Self-awareness with only a small amount... Sorry, self-belief with only a small amount of self-awareness, and you have probably Mark Boland. If you have none mm. at all, you've got Steve Harley, who describes himself as a genius so often, which, again, is best avoided. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say that yourself. No, if you have to say it yourself... But yeah, I just... Because there's something, I mean, something to it, because by no means is he a failure of a musician, because there's song, I mean, we're, no, we're, no, talking about, we're talking about this album now and what, nearly 50 years later, and there's songs on here I think are very good, and yeah, there's no, songs I, on I, here that people cherish, so there's something to him, but yes, he's not, he's not really at that, that Mr. Bowie, exactly. even, even I, Mr. Bowling level. I think by his own standards... That's part of the problem, isn't it? With the benefit of hindsight, it's, it's start, it looks a lot like hubris because mm. he's saying that he's here to... He's really condescending about Mark Boland, saying he quite enjoyed his little boogies, which admittedly is sort of what they are. But, <laughs> but if, you're, if you're Steve Harley, shut up. Have some grace. He introduced himself on stage as Muhammad Ali because... And then he just used to take swipes at people in the contemporary music scene. Why would you say Muhammad all... Ali? No, Ali. Harley? St- Steve, Steve Ali. Muhammad Ali Ali. Muhammad Harley? Yes, quite. 
Anyway, you was, I interrupted you in the middle of a fantastic anecdote. <laughs> yeah, is it an anecdote if it didn't happen to me? <laughs> <laughs> Observation. <I'd... laughs> thought. <laughs> thought sorry, right, I, tell me some more of your shite coming out of your head. I thought that was uh, sort of the brief here. I thought it was very much what we did. <laughs> no, no, I, I want uh, reported okay. facts. Sorry, when I was Steve Harley and I was commanding the stage <laughs> with a group of men that hated me, I thought the best thing to do was take pot shots at people who were a lot more successful. Ventriloquist acts? It starts to, it really starts to look like dangerous levels of hubris, doesn't it? Like you you kept talking about how great you were. It just never really happened. By my standards, he is a megastar. By the standards of the people he was criticising, many of whom were beloved of the organ NME, he looks like a burk. And he, he, you're never going to not be that, are you? Oh, what's his face? Who flew too fl- close to the sun? Oh, Icarus. Icarus? <laughs> I kept thinking Lazarus. Oh, Icarus. Oh, Icarus. Thy oh. name is Harley. <laughs> Sweet dreams. It's a weird little song, isn't it? And I, yeah. I do mean little. Yes, it's, it's, it's mostly just tuning up. Which is... Well, that's why it, it slides so effectively seamlessly into track two, the title track. If you're mm. not paying attention... Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you genuinely have no idea that that, was, that even track one existed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a mischievous little number, isn't it? I, I can hear... With the, with the violins already tuning up in it, I, I can already hear like the prototype of Dexy's Midnight Runners coming in there. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Uh, to me, I feel like the uh, Doval vibe of the song has a feeling of, um, and I know I was going to mention Rocky Horror Picture Show, but and I know which was a couple of years later, or around the, at the same time, but it sort of reminded me of science fiction double feature, like the opening song from Rocky Horror. Ah. And I can already totally hear Bowie and Ian Hunter on it, vocally. Oh my god, yes. I mean, for all of his big talk about how he was giving every, like everybody on the pop scene a kick at the arse, he sounds from... Like a fan. Yeah, like a deep, deep fan. I bet, yeah, he's talking that shit in the press, but I bet he fucking loved him. He had posters of yeah, Bowie yeah. on his walls and if had all Bowie records. had said anything disparaging about him in the press and he may well have done I don't know mm. but he kept saying oh I hope that Bowie here sorry his voice I hope that Bowie here's cockney Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah it's really better um, I would have wept imagine if Bowie criticised you yeah this is how <laughs> this is how I tell you why would he do that? What did I do? Apart from, oh yeah, 37 episodes of that podcast. <laughs> you weren't appropriately reverential. I was for a chunk of it. The 70s. No, that was you. I, I enjoyed the 90s. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did! Um, everybody likes the 70s. The 80s are pop-tastic. The and 90s... Scary Monsters. 1980, yeah. It's basically both. <laughs> Let's call Mulligan of 79. Let's just say it was 79 because it really does fit with the narrative better. 
Anyway, to hear more on our Bowie thoughts, listen to our sister podcast, Breaking Glass for David Bowie catalog. Yeah. If you've got a spare six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for 70s. Yes. Oh, they are long. Oh, they are. I, 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 I was very generous in the editing to us. <laughs> the editing. <laughs> Sorry, editing, quote oh, unquote. Editing was you removing the more obvious coughs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the title track then, because the first one, as you say, is just tuning up. But yeah, I and mean, he sounds like a devoted fan mm. of David Bowie and Mott the Hoople. And probably a bit of T-Rex. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. certainly also listened to Lou Reed. Apparently, he used to consume, like, the music press and so right. on. He was a oh, was he devoted the type, pop fan. Was he the type of person who kind of just read up in all, of the, uh, all the magazines and stuff and thought he could navigate sort of the, uh, the business because he thought he had like, oh, I've done all the readings. I know the pitfalls and stuff because he, what he thought he assimilated yeah, yeah. from the press. The, the, I believe it's the violinist. Uh, is it that, the guy with the double barrel surname? Yes. Reem uh, something uh, James. Yeah. Said something like he, ba- journalists barely had to do any work because Steve had basically written the interview for them. Right. He gave good copy. Unfortunately, he did it. I mean, as Roy Carr says, in person... It says he is devoid of charisma. Right. Which is problematic. Mm. Because again, Bowie and Boland and Hunter have got it just pouring off them. Oh, yes, my love. It's all going very, very well. It's all going terribly well. <laughs> terribly well, everyone. That, is, that surmises the film Stardust. That's the film about David Bowie. The inexplicable film about <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> Hey, hey, David, how's it? How's your tour going? It's going very, very well. But it's not even that. It's the fact that he calls him Mark Boland, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, Mark Boland. My tour. Yes, Mark Boland. My tour of America. For I am David Boland. I am David Bowie. Terribly, terribly well. Mark Boland. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> we we should at some point do our. Watch along episode of Stardust. Yeah, the emergency broadcast. Well, I mean, emergency after the fact. But um... why is Mark Maron in that? Hey man, hey David. (laughs) If I was in a film about David Bowie, you're not. not. (laughs) You're staying in my mom's house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all going terribly well. Terribly, terribly well, Mark Maron. Hey Dave, why wear such funny shoes? Don't you like my shoes, Mark Maron? I enjoy Andy mine, Mark Maron. Oh, so the title track, Psychomodo, I've written here, it's a polite car chase of a song. Meaning it's got it's, it's, it's got a lot of energy to it. it you know, it's, it's got a lot of great um, agency to it, but it all sounds, I think because of the violin, it sounds all very pleasant. Yeah, and I actually did write here like the lyrics. I've been losing my head, losing my way. I've been losing my brain cells at a million a day. I've been so disillusioned. I'm on Suicide Street. Apart from maybe that last line, I actually thought it sounded very Daniel Johnston. I mean, possibly. But I might just be thinking of a Daniel Johnston song. I've lost my mind. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's not exact. It's not a great thing to call the man up on, but the way he fails to pronounce ours becomes. I blocked it. Oh God! Because I mean, I, I suspect he has a or had a speech impediment of some sort, hmm. but he. He's not trying to correct it. I think he turns it into a a thing. So mm. if you not notice the way he says, I've seen 1984 in a terrible state. Terrible <laughs> it's, state. It's a terrible state. And there's bits where he just sounds like Vic. Vic. From bottom. The young <laughs> ones. No, the young ones. Why are the kids crying? Because Steve <laughs> Harley's dead. <laughs> because Vic is dead. Because the skins and the vastas like Cockney Vebble. Oh, God, I can hear it now. Yeah. Cockney Vebble. Cockney Vebble. Well, again, this is where I've written here. It, this one feels a little bit Roxy light with Bob Dylan vocals. That's the other thing. He really clearly likes Roxy music he as li- well. This one sounds very Roxy because the, the, the violin or the, the, the keys here sound very trying to be Eno-esque. If he'd that, been able, da, 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 I mean, I think, honestly, I think Cockney Rebel might have gone from strength to strength. If he had more about him, if he was able to lead a band slightly better and not mm. have them more leave. <laughs> I mean, so it's very important to your band. Well, because you Brian Ferry was the undisputed leader, wasn't he? And Eno left because he had no interest in being in a band. But yeah. the rest of them bloody stayed. Phil Manzanera didn't have a co-writing credit until the third record, the third or fourth record. No, and he's a man um, who can command his own albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's... He's one hell of a player. And Andy McKay and Paul Thompson, they all stayed. Mm. They, that must be because Ferry isn't as much of a Burke as Harley. And he's an infamous Burke. And he's an, his nickname was Byron Ferrari. <laughs> you don't get that by being well-liked. <laughs> but if they've been able to keep these quite talented players around, because they have a sound. Mm. They really oh, do. yeah. No, that I, I get I get a sound from this album. It's not just a, a whole bunch of songs. Like, oh, I, I, there's a Cockney Rebel sound here. Yeah, yeah, they have a vibe. Like, yeah. you, you know we were saying about um, Kevin Ayers, where it mm. sometimes sounds like it's on the verge of falling over. Yes. It's Cockney Rebel are like that, but yeah, more electric. Yeah, I can get that. Mm. It's just, it's very, it's charmingly ramshackle. It's a, yeah. I think it's a hugely enjoyable record. It's just... He does come across as a plonker. Because that's the thing, even though I'm saying um, they definitely have the Cockney Rebel sound, which is probably more to do with just the unique violin sound, but. And also, the drumming. Yeah, and, and the, the drumming. drumming. And the syncopation. So central. Uh, but at the same time, the songs, there's a great variety to the sound. And yeah, yeah. I, I do think that's most, you know, borne out really with Mr. Soft. Yeah, which, he does. Tell you what else he's very, very good at is the. That sort of very flowery, imagistic lyric writing that they do in the 70s particularly. He's mm. brilliant at it. He's clearly a very literate man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he's quite a thoughtful one as well. He he had mm. a, a scheme for <laughs> yes. a saviour machine, yeah. which he definitely heard and liked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mr. Soft is a unique song, I think. Boom, 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 boom. It's just such a bizarre arrangement. 
it's so well, that's the pro- that, that's i say that's the problem it's the problem if you don't like that sort of thing for me for example it's a strength the songs are just a fizzing surface of ideas there's mm. just little snatches that you think elsewhere might have been turned into a whole song like little riffs that only appear flash up in one bit of a song and then fade away never to reappear there's so reappear. much going on in, in in mr stuff you got the, that that boom boom you got some like seaside organ thrown in you've got the russian style humming going through it and his delivery on it which i think is probably peak steve harley but yeah, in, yeah. in the context of this song really works yeah Oh, Mr. Don't you know? So, I do really like fight the good fight, sling your axe. This is one of those songs I could totally see why someone would loathe it. I happen to really like it. Probably because it is just such a, again, that word, unique um, song, delivery, all that good stuff. But. It got to like number eight, didn't it? Yeah, I was just going to say, because originally the title track was the lead single, but EMI removed it from the airways um, because Judy Teen was still proving too popular. So so Mr. Soft ended up becoming the second single, but kind of the first. And yeah, it got to number eight. And the the people doing the the Russian-style humming in the background was uh, Mike Same Singers. Mainstays at BBC Light Programmes, which went off air in 1967. And they were the backing singers on this. The counterpoint between the bass and the violin is so ace. Mm. You know, that huge, fruity, fat noise is happening in the background. And then there's that very, very high... It's very cool, isn't it, Mr Soft? It's a lot to enjoy in it. A little fact here, Elbow were originally called Mr Soft. Well, good for them. Little little factoid there. Yeah, and Elbow's uh, probably a better name for them. Yeah, yeah. Because if, I mean, if you call them Mr. Soft, people are going to assume, because that's what people are like, that they're really just talking about Mr. about Guy Garvey and that's his nickname somehow. <laughs> well, Mr. Soft. Yeah, 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 yeah. Little pudding bear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listening to this album, because I didn't know it was Cockney Rebel who did Mr. Soft, but. For the longest time, I've known this song because of those freaking tree bore soft mints adverts from the late I mean, 80s. Which... Steve Harley is not shy about selling the rights to his songs. And I mm. don't blame him. If you have <laughs> if if you wrote songs that were, you know, reasonable hits in the 70s and then probably not a lot else apart from that one, mm. sell everything you want. No problem. I hope you have I hope you have a very comfortable life as a result. I remember so clearly those soft mints adverts. But I will say, though, those soft mints adverts are burned onto my brain. I assumed assumed they were composed for the adverts. I did as well. I I thought, oh, Treebore have come up with a really catchy little jingle. So to to find out this was not only a pre-existing song, but on this bloody album, it actually was a a jaw-dropping moment for me. What a a day to be alive. What a a day it was. It was a red-letter day for me, Adam. (laughs) To be fair, I do remember you did text me after you started listening to it and went, oh, there's there's a lot to enjoy on this record. And there is. There is. Yeah. For all that it's fun to take the mook out of Steve Harley. No, 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 no. no. It's actually, you know, very hugely enjoyable record. 
Um, the, the tree, the tree advert, apparently in the late eighties, they did originally ask Harley to rewrite it, but he was uncomfortable doing it and told them to just go ahead and do whatever you want. And most people did actually think it was still Steve Harley singing on it. Cause they presumably they hired somebody to do a fake Steve Harley impression. Yeah. No one actually knows who it was, but. How, how different is it then? I haven't gone back and listened to it. Are, there, li- more, it's, it's, are there the lyrics more mint based? <laughs> if anything, they make more, entirely more sense. <laughs> And also, um, it was widely reported the guy singing was much more popular than Steve Harley amongst well, his contemporaries. It's possibly because there are skin diseases more popular than Steve <laughs> Harley. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in 2004, Phones for You survey voted it the number seven out of ten top jingles of all time. Which, you know, is damning with faint praise, really, isn't it? Because mm. on one hand, Top Great jingle. jingle, it's a song. It's not a jingle. It's a song. Right. It's a whole song. It's by track the three from my second album. By the Titan, Steve Harley. You clot. No, 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 no. That's actually I prefer Stephen. Do you know what his, uh, his original surname is? His birth name? Harley Vestein. No, no. Stephen Nice. What's wrong with that for a stage name? I just know absolutely nothing. I just feel like he decided to do away with nominative determinism and just embrace. <laughs> well, he uh, could have called himself Steve Cunt then. <laughs> do you think maybe the violinist and someone's going, bit on the nose, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Go for Harley instead then. Yeah. Uh, Another little factoid on a, uh, a Top of the Pops appearance when they performed the song, uh, the keyboards were done by a certain Francis Monkman. Ah. Uh, good old Francis. Uh, he was just a gun for hire for years, wasn't he? Really was. And composed the greatest piece of music ever, which is the Long Good Friday theme tune. Oh, I forgot that was him. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. And of course, he was one of the members of Sky. And yes, I was going to say air, but yes, of course it was Sky. Are you even in a charity shop looking through their records if you can't find at least one Sky record? This is true, yes. Sky, James Last. I've I've never bought Sky album because I always feel like... Oh, it's good. No, I borrowed your copy once, but it just feels like I can buy it some other time. I'm sure there'll be a multitude of charity shops I can find out in some other time. If you pay more than a pound, you've been done. You've been robbed. I, uh, I really like Sky's first album, though. I remember enjoying it, yeah. Uh, another Top of the Pops appearance featured Herbie Flowers on guitar. Also of Sky. And uh, he, a bit of Bowie for a bit. Yeah, he did. He, he was he on dabbled. Diamond Dogs. Yes, yes, yes. Dab- yes. Dabbled, dabbled on dogs. <laughs> he dabbled on Diamond Dogs with David. Dabbled on Diamond Dogs, yeah. Dabbled on Diamond Dogs, David. Oh, yes. I have heavy flowers dabbling on my diamond dogs. It's going terribly, terribly It's well. all going very well, Mark Bowlin. <laughs> stop calling me, David! <laughs> David, stop using my full name. <laughs> it's making me feel like a second fiddle. Well, nobody's making a film about you, my love, are they? Hello, Mark Bowlin. Yes, David. <laughs> I'm making this pot noodle. Just want you to know it's going terribly, terribly well. Great. Yes, Happy for you. Yes, David Bowie. It doesn't work the other way around, does it, Mark Bowen? <laughs> because that's how you should address me, Mark Bowen. <laughs> how you should address me indeed. Do 
not could... watch that film. <laughs> we cannot stress that enough. <laughs> Contemporary reviews of the album highlighted Mr. Soft as a standout track of the album. Well, it is, isn't it? It's just soft. Turn around and force the world to watch the things you're going through. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, Mr. Soft. Yeah. It, I mean, I. It's such a bizarre song. I, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm now happy I've kind of found it properly. And I, I will continue to listen to Mr. Soft. No, I will. I think Mr. Soft is a belter. I really do. I also really like the next one. The you know, singular band has grown on me. First listen, I was like, ooh, I'm not sure. But it's, it's stuck with me. And including it's very five years sounding drum opening yes uh it's got a the sort of time signature to it is i don't know did it is it is it ever so slightly like reggae i don't know really, a little bit i just yeah. mean the, the, the time of it the, no i know what you mean yeah it's not like ali campbell does great british songbook it's yeah yeah it's not it's not a real giant of reggae <laughs> no Oof. It's not talking about Mount Rushmore reggae here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Marley looks at Ali Campbell for what's possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, Marley, what could have been my love? Oh, Ali Campbell, your reggae is going terribly well. <laughs> I think Singing the Band is the one where I think Steve Harley's voice is actually the selling point. Because he sounds like on the verge of hysteria when he uh, is screaming, a singular band. Yeah, no, I do like that quality in his voice. Yeah, so it's, it's a weirdly sparse song. There's there's quite a lot of room in here between the instruments. Like the, it's, it's, yes, it's very spacious. Yeah, there's a lot between the drums and the violin. And there's that kind of odd extended Bob James style organ that they throw in towards the end and with, with like smatterings of crowd noise thrown in the background and stuff. Yeah. And is it... that's, he's, he's also bang on the money. They are a, a completely singular band. Singular band. Cockney Rebel, like you said, I mean, they obviously they sound like they're fronted by somebody who's obsessed with the pop music of the early 70s. Mm. But the band themselves are utterly singular. They Cockney Rebel sound like Cockney Rebel, which yeah. is brilliant. And also, and in many ways, the decision to get rid of a lead guitarist is something of a masterstroke. Yeah, no, I think that it makes them quite unique during this period as well. You know, Would you say it makes them singular? Singular band. Um, you know, kind of the third song in because, like you say, one and two still go into each other. But at this point, the first three songs they, they're all very independent of each other. They they yes. all they each of them doesn't sound like the song before it. Um, yeah, I think it's it's another odd sound. It's another weird thing thrown in here. Is it, is it, is it a song about wealth and fame or is it literally just a sort of a bigging themselves up song, like you say? Is, is it them literally saying, we are a singular band, we are I a rebel? Fear, I fear, having read some interviews with him, that it is the latter. Ah. Which is a shame. I don't think it's metaphor. I think he is literally declaring them a singular band. Oh, come on, Mr. Nice. Well, actually, if you listen to what was happening in the contemporary pop scene at the time, we really were pretty singular. 
Oh, Steve. You're just dreadful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I remember I mean, well, to... a friend of mine has been to see Steve Harley perform at a, a you know, a, you know, Q and A acoustic sort of evening mm. a couple of times, and said he's he's really enjoyed them. And fair enough. But he tells a story about how uh, I got a phone call um, asking me for to for the rights to come up and see me. Uh, for a, a Viagra company, and my wife said, um, uh, if you do that, I'll divorce you. A um, couple of days later, they phoned back. They give me a figure, and uh, I, uh, I spoke to my wife again, and she said, if you don't do that, I'll divorce you. Which is <laughs> just, it's a horrible anecdote about hey, how much money you paid, which does not bother me at all. What offended me was that I wasn't even there. Is that you? You know, don't you, that he has told that anecdote every single interview for the last fifteen years. He's probably said it to his wife every single day as well. Oh, she will have long since left him, Mike. <laughs> oh, do don't not worry. Know that's true. I do not know. I doubt that's true. I'm sure he's charming. I don't know what you're worrying about saying that now. We've called him a cunt twice. I know. I just feel if, if, of all of the people that we've spoken about on here, obviously a lot of them are dead. I get the, I think Steve Harley's the most likely to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome to the party, Steve. <laughs> if you're still with us, Stephen, I did enjoy the record. I also enjoyed the human menagerie. And I'm, I'm sure you would agree that the cover was a misstep. And I know we said the word cunt several times now, but we are enjoying this album, Steve. Yeah, it's, despite, it might, despite it might you, sound like it. Despite you. Despite <laughs> you. Someone who actively despises you. Steve, all we are saying is get out of Cockney Rebel's way. <laughs> but Cockney Rebel, the band Cockney Rebel could have been. It's absolutely not true. Your songs are wonderful, and I think your voice has an idiosyncratic quality that I enjoy enormously. Oh, don't give in to him just because he's in the room now. It's true, though. It is true. Oh, you creep. Hi, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, singing about so. Zits. I'm just saying, he definitely Googles himself. Beg your pardon? Stephen. Um, Ritz is... So that's going to your wife. <laughs> Ritz is the one that he... <laughs> that is, is... Is this the one that sounds almost exactly like Space Oddity? Or like, For Your Pleasure, Roxy Music? Okay, so For Your Pleasure, Roxy Music squeezed through the prism of Space Oddity. It's, it's got, yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's got that dramatic strings fade in at the opening. Yeah. It, and, I, you know, to, to really give him credit here, it almost sounds like Pop or Vul from a lot of Werner Herzog soundtracks. It also sounds a little bit like uh, Letter to Hermione. Might really listen to it. I mean... What I have written here, Adam, is to me, this sounds as crisp today as, and it could be a new song, despite it being so old. You've got a real shit-eating grin on your face at the moment there, Mike. I'm sorry there's no uh, Mellotron in here. There could be, there could well be. 
Are you suggesting that Ritz sounds a, a, li a little, a little bit 1974? Yeah, but I, I generally also mean that I think it has a sound that stands so agelessly, you could actually release this now and go, all right, cool. Do you reckon? I think so. I, there's, a, there's a lot of bands still making music that sounds like this. Yes, well, I wouldn't know, would I? Ad admittedly, not very popular. <laughs> so it's not it's not played on your... your the latest disc. Is that the name of the show on Radio 1? Um, you know, it's not it's not your hippity-hoppity-bippity-boppities. But there's a lot of alternative bands who make sounds like this. This is hardly paradise. Paradise. Yeah, I'm thinking... There's some... Stop. He does a very nice work with, you know, the meter, where he goes, Is it indigo? Mm. I do like... Yeah, I like Ritz. I do. No, I, I, I like... Doesn't sound I like, crisp and contemporary to me. I like the treatment they put on Harley's voice as well, that kind of whirling psychedelic sound, that... Noise, so he's sort of coming in and out of. Sounds like he's just rolling. No, no, the he track. did that. He did that himself. Oh, right. Yeah, he sang it. That's on one channel, and then in the next one, he's just going. <laughs> <laughs> and they said to him, "They said, Steve, it will never work," and it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's a whole ominous sound to it. It kind of just has this weird cascading sound just falling into oblivion. But it, the word Ritz makes it sound like it has this high life sounding thing, equality to it, talking about the great and the good and the meow, meow, meows. Yeah. But the whole actual ominous sound to it, it just sounds like it's all just descending into hell. Until you find something you understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, without the jazz hands, Adam just did when he delivered that. No, he did do a lot of jazz hands because he because he could barely uh, he couldn't walk particularly well. He had a limp. He was not a um, dynamic performer. I mean, so he used to stand at the microphone quite rigid, emphasising his baby blues and his I'm, I'm directly quoting large mouth and huh. just miming. Um, I'm going to read from Roy Carr's character assassination in 1974. Oh, <clears throat> is that the title of the article? No, the title of the article is You Can't Be a Contented Genius. Okay. <clears throat> Harley goes on to relate how, just 24 hours earlier, he got 20,000 stoned Dutchmen in a festival crowd twice that number to sing Tumbling Down. On stage, I give people my life. His hands feverishly mime the point, and they give it back. Roy Carr's character assassination from 1974. Feverish mime. I rest my case. What was his feverish mime? Oh, I'm assuming because he says I give people my life, he will be doing this. Adam's doing some sort of hands out gesture, holding two I'm doing, I mean, if you, want, if you want to understand the mime, imagine... I you can't two, understand the mime. I'm giving, I'm giving these boobs to you. <laughs> Thank you. But, but I'm desperate that you have them. It means a lot to me. But Take them. 
but you also seem like you'd like them back at some point. Uh, because I'm Steve Harley, and so I'm relying, I'm giving them to you, the audience, and you will give them back to me in your devotion and crucially money. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yum, 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 yum. So how long do I have the boobs for? Um, just duration of the song. Then oh. applaud and help me with boobs. <laughs> Odd request, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. If you can help me with your boobs. Oh, is that Adam Carr? <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Oh, do help me with your boobs. Sorry, I momentarily forgot Steve Harley. No, no, no. If you can help me with your boobs before Guys, the out. At the, when the song is over, I'll tell you, and that's the appropriate time to help me with the boobs, yeah? <laughs> Does he have some kind of signal to uh, alert them? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the band come to a satisfactory conclusion, and Steve <laughs> says... Now is the time. <laughs> Applaud. <laughs> they do so. And then you just hear the gentle. <laughs> of, and that is the avalanche of mammary glands that Steve Harley believes is his just desserts. <laughs> Yo, Stephen. <laughs> what Commissioner Gordon lights up for the boob signal. Yeah, I mean, and we can all imagine what that looks like. <laughs> how, how will we know when to pelt him with a boob? Well, he gave well, us a signal! You'll know. <laughs> Look to the skies! <laughs> yeah, Nick Cave composed a song about it. There is a light. <laughs> Who threw that? Song's not over yet. It's a violin solo. It's not the time to pelt me with boobs, you know. <laughs> you clown! God, jobs. Uh, yes, there's another violin solo in Ritz. I like it. It's very good, the one on Ritz. Yes, and I love. I do like the trumpets that slowly fade out at the end. It's a very decadent-sounding song. I like it. It's quite a decadent record. It is really. Yeah, it sounds like people are living large. It does. And I, I do think Ritz really works well in that regard because it, it does have that sound to it. I think it sounds like a very expensive record, to be it, honest. Ritz particularly sounds like an expensive song, and given I imagine it's supposed to be about high living in the decadent living nature of people. Uh, it, You'd it, assume it, so, wouldn't you? It, it sounds exactly like that, and I think they've actually done a very good job at bearing that out through song and mime. And tits. <laughs> and tits. Uh, so Cavaliers. Uh, Cavaliers is... I, I, I think Cavaliers is one of the high points on the album for me. However, it must be said that you get the sense that he wrote this one thinking, this is going to be the one where they all sing along. This is going to mm. be the rabble-rousing moment. This is my torch song. Yeah. And I imagine never was shame yeah because i really like cavaliers it's probably my highlight in the album it's a big song that yeah it is the, the riff on it and i think it sounds very much uh billion dollar babies style Alice yes Cooper. it does no it absolutely does it's you got a real that... hello hooray sound to it i've i've, I've thought the same thing I, I think that alice cooper will have heard this or vice versa because that's very fair alice cooper will have started before this and gone oh yeah or <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I think this is one where his delivery works really well. Is it, is it misery coming over me? There's even elements in here of like early Axl Rose in certain delivery. I don't know how much Axl Rose would have listened to Steve Harley. Potentially, um, he might have done, but I don't. I I would. I don't know. I don't know. I would guess that this album will have been quite hard to get hold of in the US. Probably. It also the one of my criticisms of it is lyrically. I mean, obviously, there's there's a difficult word in it, but it's it's written in that sort of early seventies. I'm a provocateur, Argo, yes. but without again without the charm or the humour or the self-awareness mm. that some other writers did. When he talks about masturbation, it, mm. it doesn't sound halfway as cool or as effective as when dear, dear David does it. It sounds like he's going, oh, yeah. It's a bit sixth, it's a bit, it's a bit sixth form, do you know what I mean? A bit like yeah, he's no, going, I, I... yeah, I've written about masturbation and actually Mr. Jennings didn't even tell me off. <laughs> it's just a bit lame. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't criticize his lyrics on the rest of the album. It just. It does sound a little bit. It, it sounds like this one. Charlie is, of the fourth form. It does sound a little bit like he wrote it in high school, and he's just always kept it in his back pocket. He thought, "Now's the time, Steve. Now's the time to show it to them." Use the N word, Stephen. The lies. There's a line like, it, it's so easy to make suicide come true. And yeah, again, that feels a oh, little bit teenage on. angsty, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And again, a, a song it reminds me of is actually The Boys Next Door Shivers. And again... But on a grander you, scale. You can scoff your ideals off of nothing new, actually. I actually think, it, I actually think if anything, the government are all a bit old. Mm. No. I think you should be able to drink in pubs at 16 and vote. Uh, come on. So, in this context, who or what is a cavalier? Uh, clearly, he thinks he is. Oh, he absolutely believes he is. But is, it, is it a cavalier in terms of, of misfits looking to be a gentleman? Or does he think he is a gentleman of fortune? I think he is talking about um, him and anybody he likes... Uh, just being strutting cocksure cavaliers. I, I just think he thinks it's... Or just cocks. I think he just thinks it sounds cool. Because mm. I think you're right. I think he was about 15 when he wrote this. It does feel like it's a teenager song. Yeah. This. Seeing blowjob blues and boogaloos. I mean, yeah. That being said, yeah, if if you don't pay that much attention to the lyrics, you oh, know, I, the I like sound. the way he delivers. Yeah, the sound of the song is very grand. Oh, it's grand and, is exactly what it is. It's a yeah. sweeping. Thing. It is a sweeping. And I thing. I really like the testify sort of almost call and response bit. Yeah, and, I, and that's what I mean by I think he was writing a song that he thought was going to be his rock and roll suicide. Yeah. To be carefully. You know, imagine he's imagining five thousand people all screaming about how they're going to be cavaliers together, and he, Harley, their leader, dripping in boob, covered in boob. <laughs> yeah, although it is a grand sweeping song, I do love the uh, the riff on it and everything. It it does go on a bit long because it is a good eight minutes, and then it has it is, isn't it? Potentially the longest ass 
fade out in history. The song starts fading out at six and a half minutes and it goes on for eight minutes. Yes. That's the longest fade out ever. It is, isn't it? I don't, I don't, it's not like usual when we, on this podcast, there is a bit of a, a familiar thing now where we're sort of moaning about songs being too long. Mm-hmm. And I think partially this is because most songs are, but I think Cavaliers is the only one on the album that I think really struggles to justify its running time. Some yeah, of the others are, are five, six minutes. And that Ritz is Ritz has got to be five and a half or something. Oh, Ritz is like a good seven minutes as well. And they, well, there you go. That's fine, actually. Mm. I th- I, it's a it's a sound I'm happy to live with for a bit longer and let it marinate. Um, Cavaliers did what did he think was going to happen in that two minutes of fade out in a live setting? That was just going to be where they is that to give the audience opportunity to c- carry him round. I thought was time to... I, I honestly think it might be. He thinks <laughs> that's going to be the bit where I am paraded round like the hero. There's some kind of deity, yeah. Vic is dead. <laughs> Steve Harley believes he's the people's poet, and never is that more true than on Cavaliers. <laughs> Vivian, and masturbation. Can... Vivian, can you kill yourself eating twenty laxative? I don't know, but we're going to find out. <laughs> to track seven, Bed in the Corner. Oh, Bed in the Corner. Please, I believe that's the one where he talks about talking to someone who has the key. Is that the one how it, that begins? Am I thinking of the right one? I've just been speaking to the one who holds yes. the key. When she asked me, would I like to wait to see? Now... Somebody's been listening to Hunky Dory, haven't they? Oh, oh, God, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, terribly, terribly good, Steve. Hunky Dory went terribly well, actually. Steve Harley, get your own shtick. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Mark Bowden. What did I do? History won't be kind, Mark Bowden. After the grandeur of Cavalier, Bed in the Corner is a relatively like, cheerful little clip over. Pick me up afterwards. It's a bit throwaway, though, isn't it? After after the, the grandeur of the two songs that precede it, it feels like um, filler. Yeah, it does. And it feels like a, a weird little romance song. I'm Because what I find odd about Bed in the Corner, because it, it segues so neatly into Sling It. So again, they sound of a piece. But Bed in the Corner... And Sling It are two wildly different songs, lyrically. So Bed in the Corner does feel like a bit of a, a throwaway romance track. So, but she's a rosebud in my heart, and in my dreams see her flow into the night like rivers and streams. That's just bilge. Uh, and it's got... The- yeah, what that is, is I desperately need a simile, and that rhymes. Yeah. but it's, And it, fair it's, enough, to be honest with you, because it, it does it, sound good. It feels like a throwaway after Cavalier, and it's uh after the, the after the jaw dropping poetry of Cavaliers. Actually, it's <laughs> about I, actually it's about how old people don't understand things, don't they? I, I always thought they did. I think they they probably understand more actually. Uh, I mean, something Bed in the Corner reminded me of was kind of lightweight nineteen Paris nineteen nineteen John Cale. 
Oh, man, how good is Paris 1919? That's a good album. That's something that pops in my head now and then to bring to this. That's a good album. That's a good album. Right. Anyway, to business. <laughs> Paris 1919. Right. Warmed up. It's a good album. Oh, strong out. So, A Child's Christmas in Wales, track one. Oh, I would like to listen to Paris 1919. It's been a while since we listened to it. Boom, 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 boom. How many songs have bird songs solo in it? Makes me so unsure of myself. Efficiency, efficiency, they say. Anyway. It's over time and time of day. I've just been speaking to the one who holds the key. Oh, you're back with you, oh, are we? Stephen. It's the boob messiah. You. The tripping, in, tripping in mammary glands and self-satisfaction. <laughs> Which is a revolting combination. <laughs> Some worse fragrance by Armani. Bed in the Corner really does suffer from its placing in the album, though, doesn't it? Mm. I've been speaking to the one who holds the key. Alan I've Carr. just been listening to David Bloody Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But then it, it bizarrely just segues into Sling It, again, which is an odd title, because when I read the, the, the lyrics to Sling It, it seems like a fucking a post-apocalyptic song. Well, the slit the ship was sailing through a tempest of fear. There was lightning and explosions galore. Oh, man. There is sometimes, if you put a, words in conjunction with one another, not it's not juxtaposition, but sometimes it's just a clash. And galore does not work with explosion. Something, nobody, something galore. Nobody's ever described <laughs> a war as, oh, I tell you what, explosions galore at the sob. Oh, I mean, Tempest of Fear, fine. No, no problem with that. Ladies and babies being trampled to hell. Stark imagery. Oh, no, it's pretty dark. Lightning and explosions galore. He was laughing, saying, Dear, this is mad. I quite like that. Over fear in our hearts was diminished at once. We began to restore love and peace. Mm. And though the ship had gone down, there was a moral to be found. <laughs> I mean, you know, it sounds apocalyptic, but is it then him just sailing the choppy seas of the romance from Bed in the Corner. Again, I mean, maybe. Maybe. He doesn't... There is, look, there's two schools of thought, I suppose. One is that, sure, he, the whole thing is a metaphor for a relationship. It'd be nice to believe that. The other is that he's literally describing something, some sort of war, post-apocalyptic scenario... And then, luckily, Steve Harley is here, ready to lead you all to Ambrosia. <laughs> <laughs> I think I take the last bullet in my gun, or the flare, and just point it at my head. Come on, everyone. Let's sling it and do it again. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need leaders of men like me, Steve Harley. <laughs> All right, get... everybody, I know that the ship has gone down, but there is a moral to be found. And that moral is that I, Steve Harley, shall be in charge of you. 
he would get beaten to death so quickly yeah. and, and made to feast upon his own trousers. Clubbed to death by an electric violin <laughs> from behind. Clubbed to death by his own band. Smashed, crushed by his own hubris. Come on, everybody. Sling it and do it again. Imagine if society were to actually crumble. <laughs> who was it through the fucking smoke? <laughs> Why? Who was it? Who was it? Why? <laughs> Stephen Harley. And Cockney Bebel. Through no fault of his own. <laughs> to, to lead us to victory. Drip, dripping in boobs. Tits. It doesn't matter. Focus on my pity words. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say this right now, Steve. Yeah. Listen, everyone, everyone, shut up. Everybody be quiet and listen to me. Me, I, Steve Harley is talking. We've got to sling it and do it again. <laughs> Fuck off, Steve. What does that mean, you prick? Just We're dying, do- Steve. I know the ship is down, but there is a moral, yeah? Stephen, they're dying. Dying, Stephen. Stephen, we need food. Can't we just live on poetry? <laughs> Tell us to sling it, yeah? God, I hate Steve Harley. Steve Harley, twat messiah. <laughs> Just like a twat messiah. No, because that's Bowie you're doing there. <laughs> Who is better at this? Mark, Mark Bowden, I need you to talk to Steve Harley. Dave, I'm not doing your admin anymore, David. <laughs> you can't boss me around anymore. Tumbling down, tumbling down. Tumbling down is the one that, you know, actually rocks, isn't it? It's, it's quite a tender song for the rest of the album. It, it, this is his torch song. This is the one that goes on for seven minutes because he expects everyone to be lavishing him in. This is his torch song, what? Because Cavaliers didn't work. So we have it. <laughs> Try again, everyone. <laughs> Is it the first year to succeed, yeah? <laughs> These clowns didn't get my brilliance on the first one. It's a classic piano ballad at the start. Some lovely words in it. Oh, don't be taken in by his pretty, pretty words. I am suckered in by his pretty, pretty words. He's um he's 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 guilty of doing the guilty. You know the uh, the Bowie thing of look how much I've been reading, everyone. Oh, we all enjoy that, don't we, everyone? We all enjoy that. I mean, there was a lot of Ophelia and Desdemona and Othello earlier on, but now we've got Hemingway as well. Uh, yeah, because he was down with the kids. Yeah, the kids and the vasters and the skins—they love Hemingway. I, I always can get on board of a song that uh, hails a monkey. Hail to the monkey! We're having a funky reunion. I mean, there's as soon as anybody writes the lyric "monkey," often the word "funky" is not far behind. <laughs> Rhyming vultures with smolders is is quite good, though. Hmm. Deliver the dawn to the Moulin Rouge on the horizon. What the fuck is he talking about? He's got nicotine stains in his eyes. Oh. 
actions to get that scene to. But he's also got nothing to protect but his pride. I mean, he's got lots to protect. He's got the new society that he's trying to lead to a brighter tomorrow. Um, but he seems, if anything, distracted. He may be cannibalised before dawn. There's only 35 of us left. <laughs> We're going to need a leader. But wait, who's this? Mr. Soft. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Is that, who is it? Is it David Bowie? No, no, it, no, it isn't. Bob, 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 Bob. <laughs> oh, that'd be great if you like in this society and you each got like a massive pop star to be your guide. <laughs> I got, we got David Bowie. We got Mick Jagger. I got fucking Steve Harley. He just keeps complaining about how we're all in a terrible state. <laughs> we know, Steve! We know! Of course we know, Steve. We live in a radioactive wasteland. With you, Steve. It's you. You're all we have. Bomb, 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 bomb. Can you play electric violin? No. <laughs> Stop asking me every 20 minutes. <laughs> Why don't you tell me? Yes, because there was a war. <laughs> Do you not remember the war? I'm talking like you now, damn it. You remember, Stephen. There were explosions galore. You immortalised it in a... <laughs> I want to call it a song. You're in a tether... I know, Stephen. <laughs> Wish I was in my Bolins gang. At least they're having more fun. <laughs> yeah, Tumbling Down would become a mainstay at his live shows and become a fan favourite. The fan favourite. <laughs> fan favourite. Sorry, the, oh, sorry, the fan's favourite. According to who? Stephen himself. <laughs> I think that was the steveharley.com. Yeah, it's his own website. Yeah, it's not even a full website, is it? He's just got a Tumblr. <laughs> Actually, tumbling down's been something of a live standout. I thought it was going to be Cavaliers, but that never panned out. So, <laughs> try it again. Back in the saddle. I like I like tumbling down. I, I, I do too. I'm just I now thought, taking I the idea of him being a terrible leader. <laughs> a terrible leader in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah, I find it odd that it has become like a fan favorite because it's not that bombastic in comparison to other stuff on here. No, and it's not even it's not even like a tender ballad. It's just like a bit of a whinge. I don't. I think the problem with with Cockney Rebel at this stage in their lives, I don't really know about what they went on to do. But Sebastian is reasonably tender in the first. Sebastian. Sebastian. This album is too arch to do tender properly. Yeah. I think it's, that's why it's I've... too theatrical. Yeah. Whereas I, I really, I do like Tumbling Down, but yeah, I agree. I think at this point in proceedings, it doesn't strike the right tone. No. It doesn't no, feel like it belongs on this album. No. no it no, feels no. like a, a, like the last grasp of trying to show some sincerity, and it just doesn't ring true. I don't think he can do sincerity very well. No. I, I imagine he thought he could do it terribly well, but... Uh, terribly, terribly well, Mark Bolan. In the terrible state. Um, yeah, I don't think... They can do sincerity at this point. I think he probably learned it. And again, I do think 
Sebastian's a bit arch, but it, it, it's got more heart than this, I think. Or maybe not. Maybe I need to listen to it again. Maybe I'm just remembering it more kindly than maybe it deserves. Maybe. You should, sentimental listen, fall. you should listen to the first one, though. I think you'll you'll find it interesting. I'm sure I'll get around to it at some point in my lifetime. It, I mean, it's similar to this, but different. And just over, I'll, overlook, I'll, overlook the cover. I'll be on my death, Baker. There's one last thing I didn't do. Listen to Cockney Rebels for Human Menagerie. Come. Come closer. <coughs> Send word to Steve Harley that I never gave him a chance. Tell Steve Harley to suck it. It's okay, Mike. Steve's here. <laughs> Fuck! He can't die until he's spat in the eye of every one of his detractors. <laughs> and sings you come up and see me with a shit-eating grin on that face. <laughs> and then he charges you for the privilege. <laughs> Granddad, I hope you have your wallet. Steve Harley's here with his collecting sack. <laughs> he says he's going to lead me into a new dawn Don't let that man take you anywhere <laughs> He's got a sack of boobs for me to throw at him later <laughs> No, but you'll be needing these That son of a bitch, Harley Harley! <laughs> oh It appears that you're in a terrible state Very good, Harley You win again <laughs> Nice callback. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. Well, although, to be fair, he's invigorated me. I was on my ass a minute ago. Now I'm ready to go fight. And he has a, a clearly has something of an ageless quality. <laughs> Almost vampiric. Yeah. A side effect of the polio. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've not Googled it, but I hear that's one but of the I side believe effects. if one has polio, it renders one ageless. <laughs> Like Das Vampire. Indeed. I'm thinking Tom Cruise and interviewed a vampire. Yes, yes. Steve Harley, wizened, sucks out your life force. He did listen to this album. <laughs> Which we did like, Steve. Which we did like, Steve. Don't come at me. I like this album. I was about to say you, but I don't think I like you. I like this album, Steve. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if I met him, maybe. Probably not. But, yeah, the the man responsible for this album has... Man Harley. He has created... The man Harley has created a record that I like, whilst also being somebody that I think is a Burke. But that's the main thing. I mean, because I know we've come across here as relatively anti-Steve Harley, but I, I genuinely did enjoy listening to this album. And that's I'm, the thing. So I'm, did I'm, I. I'm very, I'm very grateful to Elsa Hart for the suggestion because I, I genuinely enjoyed listening to this album, and I would not have probably gone and listened to it under my own steam. No, I think and, I wish, to be honest with you, I wish I hadn't ever done any wider reading. I wish I'd on just, the man Harley. just read it. But I think even in, even in. The weighty term Glam Rock and its Legacy by Simon Reynolds, which I think we would both heartily endorse. Oh, yeah, definitely. Enjoy that sort of thing. Well worth a read. Oh, it's a superb book. But even in that, and he really likes the first two records, mm. he acknowledges the Burke like qualities of the man Harley. Because yeah, I, mean, I was reading that book, it was the first I time I was. them. 
I was thinking like, oh, maybe I do need to give Steve Harley, uh, well, sorry, Three. Courtney Rebel a listen. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I remember in the book, he basically does, like you say, he calls him out as a book, but does actually cite, particularly Psycho Murder. It's like, oh, it's, it's an album with rich listenings. There's much to enjoy here. It's actually there worth a, a, a revisit. And yeah, I, really, I really, And he's bang right. And there's songs on here that will find their way into my shuffle. And yep. Um, to oh, if we take one and two as a... As, yeah. a, as a as one thing, definitely. Singular band, Mr. Soft. Mr. Soft. Ritz, Cavaliers. Ritz, Cavaliers. To be fair, a good chunk of the album. Yeah, yeah, most of it. I really, really liked. I just, it is such a shame that it was a pillock because it becomes quite difficult. I mean, and I'm, I've, got a, I've got a big soft spot for sort of glam rock and the early 70s. So I'm I'm predisposed to sort of forgive a lot of the nonsenses. But if you consider the tapestry of pop stars at that time and the preposterous statements that they were given to making, to exist in that time and still mm. look like a twat is to remarkable. Head, to be head and shoulders above rest. To make the NME despise you. So Actively much. despise you. Actively despising you. So, will we be keeping the Psycho Modo at the party? I'd say so, yeah. I would say so, yes. So, uh, weakest track? Bed in the corner. Yeah, I, I'd say that. Or Sweet Dreams. Not because anything's wrong, but it's just a bit of a... Because it doesn't exist. It's a bit of a tune-up song. Yeah. So, um, I do really like Ritz, but I do, and I know, I know we've lambasted its lyrics, but... I, I do really like Cavaliers. Yeah. If you, the first five minutes of Cavaliers, I think, are spellbinding. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think Cavaliers uh, succeeds in spite of itself. Yes, yes. If you just enjoy it, if you just let it wash over you as a sort of sonic experience, it's fairly hard to beat. If you drill down into the poetry uh, of it, then it is a bit sixth form. Yes, it is very much so. That being said, I, I, I cited it already, but Shivers by Boys Next Door, was, which was literally written by teenagers, I still think it's a really good song still. Yeah. Yeah, but that's got some um, sort of elegant simplicity to it. It does. He's not... Uh, that. So, I mean, I know the years don't exactly add up, but... This sounds like he wrote it when he was 15 and also in love with David Bowie, mm. which cannot be the case, given that this is 1974 and Bowie was really only just beginning to gather speed. Yeah, the last year or so, yeah. He wouldn't get a number one for another year. Mm. So, how we spin the wheel? I think we should. Spin. Mike. Oh, well, look at that. Well, wouldn't you funk it? It's me, everyone. Me. Now, there's been a few things playing also, on. Sometimes, sometimes we know what we're going to do in advance. Yes. But on this occasion, I have literally no idea. Well, 
I've got to be honest, this time round, I've been really, it's probably about four or five albums. I've been like, hmm, uh, uh, uh. Uh, but I, I settled on something the other day. And it's going to be a bit of a departure for us, Adam, at the party. Right. Because at the time of recording, a film has been released into the world. Yes, Free Guy. <laughs> yes. So you want to do the soundtrack to Free Guy? No, no, I don't. I don't, want, I don't want to watch that film ever again. I fucking Have hate you seen it, it? Yes, I watched it. It's fucking terrible. Interesting, because I know a 14-year-old of my acquaintance that said it was pretty wing-ding. Uh, but no, but no, let's get the hell away from Free Guy. Uh, no, I speak of No Time to Die, the James right. Bond film. Right. So you, you can see where I'm going with this. So, Adam, the next party, I would like us yes. to listen to the James Bond themes. Right. But there is 25 of them. So I'm, propo I'm proposing a two-party episode, a two-party structure, if you will. A two-party party. Yes. Yeah, so I'm suggesting we do the first 13 next party, which would see us through oh. Dr. No to Octopussy. Hmm. Yes. So... At the next party, I would like us to listen to various artists with James Bond themes from 1962 to 1983. But you've got so much. You've got Goldfinger. You've got You Only Live Twice. You've got Thunderball. You've got. Don't they all sound Gun. the same? Largely because it's the same composer of John Barry producing them. But no, they're, they're all markedly different. Big brassy tart of a song. Some with... of them are. Tatty brassy, with with you know a big vocal, but there'll be lots to explore in there. Oh, we, we're, we're not going to get Skyfall yet. I we're a whole other party. But you got you got you got, big, you got big brassy in there. You've got yeah, some, nah. you've got some Paul McCartney in there. You've got some Johnny Cash I like, I like who, who uh, didn't Johnny do one. Cash. Oh yeah, we could explore that one in the episode. What? Oh no, I'm going to leave you hanging until the next episode. To discuss that. Uh, yeah, there's much to enjoy. Imagine and what that sounds like. You don't have to imagine. It exists. Chicka boom, chicka boom, chicka boom. Ding, yep. ding, ding, ding. And also some of the finest. I, I genuinely hold up some of the um, the overall James Bond soundtracks from the 60s as some of the best soundtracks ever. In right. terms of okay. the... Oh, just, just, just the themes. Just the themes. So right. I'll send you a list to uh, make sure you got them all right. Please, yeah. Do. It's, uh, it's got to be said, I don't believe I've seen all the Bond films because I realised, fairly early doors, seen one, pretty much seen them all, haven't you? No, no, no. In one, he goes to Japan. In another, he goes to France. Yeah, sorry, is that the in one another, in Japan where America. he tapes his eyes up and paints his face yellow to blend in? He doesn't tape his eyes up. They they Japan, they put the surgery they, on him to make it, and they give him a haircut and... Well, what they do is they just cut a bowl cut on his head, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. And they and whack him in a kimono. Yeah, and no, no one's questioning why the six foot seven Scotsman's in the middle of this rice field. A, a, a six foot seven Scotsman who's famously quite the accent man. <laughs> Rugby around! <laughs> Campai, you bastard! I'm a Spaniard! Oh, yes. Oh, good, good. Yes, so next time we will return, much like James Bond, uh, to discuss the James Bond themes, 1962 to 1983. 
and you get to and you get to live in the knowledge, Adam. But we're going to do two of these episodes. Ring a ding ding. Uh, some of them though are really good. Uh, like I love the Wings one's great. Aha's good. Duran Duran's good. You just named two that we won't be talking about next time. I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> the ones that sound a little bit less John Barry, really. The ones, the ones that I like. The ones that sound a little bit less like your grandparents listen to them. E. Yeah. So we'll be covering all the Shirley Bassey ones, everyone. All 28 of them. <laughs> Shirley, you don't have to record on it every time a new film comes out. <laughs> Shirley, you're starting to sound like a sort of angry sheep. It's time to stop. <laughs> so please join us next time, everyone. And thank you again to uh, Elsa Ha for the, um, the listener recommendation on this one. And if there's... Yes, ah. If there's an album you would like us to uh, listen to at the party, you're more than welcome to send us your suggestions at thelisteningparty at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, The Listening Party, with yeah. Adam and Mike. We're on Twitter at Party Listen and on Instagram for some reason. And we might treat it more respectfully than we did this one. But again, we did like. We did like. I know it might be hard to fathom from the last hour and a half, but we did. It's just the apocalyptic messiah, Steve Harley. It's a ludicrous man. <laughs> so, until next time, everyone, please join us again and farewell till then. Bye-bye.